0: Cannabis Commerce continues to cultivate new markets for adventurous entrepreneurs. CannabisRadio.com welcomes the adventurous to Cannabis and Commerce, presented by GreenBiz.com. This show brings together cannabis entrepreneurs and industry experts to discuss today's important cannabis issues. Our discussions will chronicle the challenges faced by cannabis' owners and the battles surrounding cannabis nationwide. Now, here are your hosts. Hi, and welcome to Cannabis and Commerce. I'm your host, Josh
1: Miller, along with my co-host, Robbie Paul. Robbie and I are members of the Green Consulting Group, a cannabis consulting firm based in Denver, Colorado, and in Phoenix, Arizona. The purpose of our show is to give our viewers an inside look at the cannabis industry, the issues it faces, the struggles it faces, and the successes it's having as this uh, wave of legalization stretches across our country. Thank you for joining us for our first show. Um, our guest today is Titus Peterson, a speaker for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Titus served as a prosecutor for five years in the Colorado 5th Judici- Judicial District Attorney's Office under the Honorable Peter F. Michelson. He began as a Deputy District Attorney and was eventually promoted to Lead Felony Attorney for Clear Creek County. During his time as Lead Felony Attorney, he prosecuted all drug-related felonies as well as violent crimes. Titus is a graduate of Skidmore College and the University of Colorado. He is now an attorney practicing personal injury, criminal law, and international law here in Denver. Titus is a former president of the Chamber of Americas and a recipient of the Skip Boyd Chase Human Rights Award. Titus joined Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, or LEAP, in 2012. Titus, how are you today?
2: Hey, I'm doing good,
1: Josh. Thanks for having me on the air. Absolutely. Would you tell us a little bit about how you became involved with LEAP um, and what message LEAP is trying to promote? Yeah. Uh, First of all, I want to say a couple things about LEAP. LEAP is a hundred thousand
2: member organization of former law enforcement officers that includes judges, prosecutors, parole officers, prison security officers, You name it. uh, It's a wide swath of people. They are the most dedicated people I've ever met, and they're dedicated to ending the war on drugs. I I always like to start out what I say to people this way. Just as Prohibition of Al Capone produced, uh, I mean, Prohibition of Alcohol produced Al Capone and all of those sorts of gangs you hear about from the 1920s, the Prohibition of uh, Drugs. And the and specifically, the War on drugs, which is a forty year old failed war, has produced the drug cartels. and uh, to our south, we have a country called Mexico, as everybody knows, and sixty five thousand Mexicans are now dead. A number of Americans are now dead, and drugs are cheaper and more prevalent than they've ever been and than they ever were even before we started the drug war. So I can go on and on about it, but Um, that's sort of a good introduction of what LEAP is, and um, I'll let you take it from there.
1: So what do you all do with LEAP to try and really fight against the drug war?
2: Yeah, well, what we think is that we're in the best position of anybody to speak about uh, the problems with the drug war. Uh, Mainly what we do is we go out and we speak uh, to rotary clubs and church groups and synagogues and Basically, anybody who listens and votes and wants to be thoughtful about uh, where the country is going, we see this as an incredibly serious issue. Um, right now, in a thousand u s cities, cities, there's evidence that the drug cartels have snuck in. And let's just get an idea of what it's like to live. Um, with the drug cartels you know recently the woman who cleans my house her brother disappeared in the state of Veracruz Mexico I don't know that it's drug uh, related I don't know anything about it I know that uh, this is a very sweet woman and she's been crying about her brother she said that they've gone to the police in Mexico her family has and that the police won't lift a finger and although I feel really bad for her, I, I can't imagine why a police officer in Veracruz would want to investigate anything to do with something that may have to do with the drug cartels, because that's how you end up dead, and that's how your kids end up dead. And I tell people, if you were a judge in this country or a police officer in this country, and you were somehow investigating or prosecuting or overseeing the prosecution of a major drug um kingpins or anybody involved with it, you know, they can find out that you have your kids and if somebody threatened your kids, what would you do? You'd find somebody not guilty or you'd overlook it or you'd step aside it. And that is how democracies begin to be destroyed. So although I think the drug war may have had some very good intentions to it, the reality is the way to hell is paved by people with good intentions. There's unintended consequences to the decisions we make. And we've made a policy decision, which is literally beginning to eat at the very foundations
1: of this country. What do you see in the systems that the drug war has built that has allowed what you were talking about in dangerous societies to, to propagate? I mean, how is the system messed up?
2: Yeah, well, let's just kind of go back through the facts of how this works. If drugs were legal, they were sold through the FDA, and, you know, I I mean, we're talking about heroin, cocaine, marijuana, the whole thing. I mean, we're talking about not prohibiting people's access to it, And, and that all needs to be thought through, how it would be regulated, how that would be dealt with, but right now we're in an unregulated system. Those drugs are more prevalent than they've ever been, and they are at a cheaper price than they've ever been. So... To kind of give you an idea of how it would work, you know, let me give you a couple things. In the marijuana market, they say that the overall marijuana, the gross uh, product of, of marijuana, or how much marijuana produces in m- dollars, is three hundred billion dollars a year in the United States. No, I actually, yeah, I think it might be three hundred billion dollars a year. To tell you how serious it is for Mexico, how much money that produces for them. Right after we passed Amendment 64 in Colorado, President Nieto, who is the president of Mexico, said that the passage by Colorado of this was a game changer. That's what was reported in the press. Of course, nobody seemed to report in the press or no editor allowed it to go on. The reporter asked, well, what game has been changed? And Nieto knows that it's bringing in that sort of money into Mexico. It may be illegal money, but it's still money coming in. And the bottom line is, Mexico's run by the drug cartels. You don't get elected unless you have some sort of in with the drug cartel. You know who not to mess with. You know who to mess with. Um, you know the, the Mexican government is is intimately involved in this whole thing. They know what's going on. Um, the the motive of the Mexican government is not to piss off the United States. Because the drug war itself is a really big business. You have to think everybody's got uh, a little bit of their finger in in the pot here. You know, you have not only the judicial system with judges' jobs on the line, prosecutors, we always need more prosecutors, more jails. More prison guards, more parole officers, more so, drug testing uh, facilities, more probation officers. All those people make money off of the drug war. So they all have a vested interest. It may not be conscious, I think it's more an unconscious, of uh, perpetuating this war. Um, you know, I'll just give you a really, do I have time for a real brief example?
1: Sure. Or, no, no, just so an no, Yeah. yeah
2: so, so let me tell you what it was like when I was in the DA's office. When we're in the DA's office, you know, we get paid as DA's. We work for the for actually for the district, which comprises five counties. And that's where we get our money from. And the counties, although these were wealthy counties, it included Vail, uh, Eagle County, where Vail is, um, Summit County, where Breckenridge, Keystone and all those ski resorts are, Clear Creek County, which has the ski resort of Loveland and Lake County, which is kind of the poor county of the of the four. But You know, those counties paid our salaries as prosecutors, so being very industrious people, we were trying to figure out how to get more money, and we, like every other county in the state of Colorado and every other district attorney's office, made grants to the state uh, or made application for grants to the state. Well, one of the, the major grants is for drugs, to prosecute drugs. Now, we weren't getting any grants to prosecute murders. We weren't getting any grants to prosecute rapes or investigate burglaries, so So you can imagine where our emphasis was, because we had to prove that we prosecuted a certain number of drug offenses in order to get next year's grants. And out of that, we all got raises and we got to hire more staff and, you know, we got to be people's bosses and all the things that kind of make people feel like they're a success in their job. So we were getting money. The sheriff's office who works for the county, they also needed to pad their budgets. So they could get grants from the state and the state was getting this grant from the federal government and the federal government was putting out what are called block grants. So this is just how money moves down through the system from the federal government to the state to the local. And, you know, of course, our politicians are always worrying about getting reelected. So they want to make sure there's jobs and that's growing. Well, the third one that was getting money was, of course, well, the third was probably just the judicial system because the judge needs more staff. And then the fourth was social services. And they also got money for taking care of the children
1: who could no longer be taken care of by their parents. We need to take a quick break. Uh, when When we get back from the break, I want you to get more into that example. But I think what you're getting at the point is that the way the system is in place that the drug war is profitable and it's profitable for a lot of the people who are in charge of also would be in charge of changing the system. And that's something I think we're going to get back into at the end of the break. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Titus Peterson to talk to us more about the way the drug war is creating systems that really perpetuate the drug war instead of doing anything to bring about any rehabilitation.
0: We'll be back in just a moment. Cannabis and Commerce presented by GreenBiz.com. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Looking to capitalize your cannabis business, you need the help of professionals who know the ins and outs of this industry and can help your business grow. You need the Green Consulting Group. We grow cannabis business. Based in Colorado and working nationwide, we are experts in business strategy and understand the intricacies of operating within existing regulatory structures of this burgeoning industry. We offer business planning and market analysis, dispensary and cultivation management, marijuana license preparation, and regulatory compliance services. The Green Consulting Group are your consummate cannabis consultants and advocates, offering customized, cutting-edge professional consulting services to the cannabis industry. Find out how we can help you by visiting the Green Consulting Group at g-r-e-e-n-e-b-i-z.com. Green Consulting Group does not constitute legal or other professional advice on any subject and always recommends seeking the advice of independent counsel and business professionals. CannabisRadio.com The conversation continues. Welcome back to Cannabis and Commerce, presented by GreenBiz.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome
1: back to Cannabis and Commerce. We're joined
0: today by Titus Peterson,
1: a former deputy district attorney and lead felony attorney for all drug-related felonies in Clear Creek County. Titus currently is a speaker with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he's here to talk to us today really about a lot of the harms uh, what the drug war has been causing to society. Uh, when we left for the break, Titus was describing an example of all the ways that the monies get distributed, grant monies get distributed in order to fight drug crimes where they don't really to fight others. So Titus, if you'd like to continue with that and how that example propagates itself among society.
2: Yeah, the, the real point I was trying to make is this is just a perverted jobs system. You know, you, you have the federal government feeding a bunch of jobs, whether that's in the judicial system, the uh, prosecuting office, the sheriff's office for investigating and uh, how that flowed down. And I was just explaining that, you know, we hired a bunch of grant writers who got money from the state, that got money from the feds, and then we used that money through the sheriff's office to send sheriff's officers in the Dare program. We all, do you remember the Dare program? You guys old enough yes. to remember? Yeah. that.
1: No, we, yeah. we were in. I was fourth
2: grade in the. You dare know, program. Dare to keep kids off drugs. So the police would go in, the teachers would give them a half an hour, and they would tell them drugs are really bad. They show them that egg frying. They show them those people with those scratch marks. Of course, they never tell anybody that there's no evidence that marijuana fries your brain. And they never explain that those are actors and actresses who have scratch marks from the crystal meth that are being paid to put the makeup on. But leave that alone. And we'd send the sheriff's office and they'd show those pictures to the kids and they'd tell their kids that, you know, they need to turn in their parents to save them. You know, that if they know mommy and daddy are smoking something funny, they need to report it. Well, kids being told to trust police officers, you know, go ahead and say, yeah, my mommy smokes weed once in a while or my daddy smokes something funny. The next thing you know, those parents are under investigation. They're then, at least I was in the mountains, they then uh, go to prison or they go to jail or they get put on probation. They lose their jobs. You lose your license in Colorado if you have a drug conviction. So they can't make it to their jobs. And because uh, they can't make it to their jobs, that's one of their conditions of probation. They go to jail. Well, who's going to take care of the kids? So those kids get sent where? Where do you think those kids get
1: sent? Social services.
2: They into the the social care. services, which puts them in foster home. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you're a foster parent and you can show that your foster kids um, would be better on Ridlin, or you think they'd be better on Ritalin or they need RIDLIN, you get more money. What do you think the financial motive is in that case? To say the kids are fine, the kids have been lied to by the police who now are like living at somebody else's house and mommy and daddy are gone? you know i think you, how do you, how would you act if you, if you if you were lied to by the police and your parents were taken out when you were 12 or 13 years old and you were living in a foster home would you be happy
1: no absolutely no. not and they were taken away for uh, a plant they had in their house and yet i'm being pumped with pharmaceutical drugs on the back end as well right cuz they then else.
2: get put on Ritalin. and then of course you know you can be assured that the pharmaceutical industry was something about creating the laws to pay foster parents more for putting kids on Ridland. So everybody's making money here. You have the pharmaceuticals, you have the foster parents, you have the social services, you have the sheriff's office, you have the prosecutor, you have the judicial system, you have the grant writers, you have the grant deliverers, you, you know, it goes on and on. We wonder how our government's gotten so huge. It's these types of programs, which, Absolutely. you know, I mean, I don't know. That's not my idea of a good jobs programs. I mean, I'm, I'm all for everybody having a job, but... Locking people up starts sounding a lot like slavery to me. And just to give you a statistic, um, you know, presently one in three African Americans are in jail on probation or uh, somehow mixed up in the judicial system. I have heard, guess what the statistic will be by 2050. And this isn't just for African Americans, not that that should make any difference to
1: anybody at all, but just guess what that would be, Josh. Uh, a half? Are we
2: looking at a half now? Something like that? Yeah, we're looking at 50% of the American public by wow. 2050 at our rates of incarceration. That, of course, includes if they start locking people up for being HIV po- uh, positive, which some of the more conservative states have had that discussion. So it reaches a little beyond the drug war, but um, it just gives you an idea you know, of how a government... Uh, I mean, government, in my mind, you know, the, the conservatives all argument government doesn't work and government works too well. These people are like nimrods. They're not thinking about where are we heading here? This is in the land of the free, 50 percent of the population under some sort of government control. I, I don't know. I just, I, right. I, I, that's probably the core reason I decided to join LEAF. I mean, I was never down for the drug war. You know, there's never been any evidence. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the Incas used cocaine for 4,000 years. There was no problem before we started bombing these people with napalm, bombing their children with napalm to deforest their land. That's when the drug war started. That's when people started saying, you know what? We can't just allow this country to do that. And and there's financial interest behind that. Who makes the napalm? This whole thing is, is a perverted jobs program that needs to be cut back. And, um, you know, that's just part of the reason. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons. My ex-wife is is a Mexican. My children are half Mexican. I'm scared to death to send them down to see their grandmother. You know, I, I mean, it's a terrifying thing. And that's a growing problem. You know, drugs are more prevalent than they were before the drug start, the drug war started.
3: So, yeah, Titus, I think that you're absolutely fine. And uh, you actually uh, hit on what, what of, uh, one of one my principal questions was going to be for you. You know, you've spoken about the the impact that the uh, war on drugs has had here within America. Can you speak to the, the sort of uh, impact and effect that we've seen with, within Mexico and within uh, especially neighboring states? I mean, uh, you know, over here, uh, the conversation really has been about how we have this, this, this trickle-down effect. And, you know, through this, this, this you know, the imposition on the war on drugs, you know, we've been able to create jobs uh you know, out of sort of thin air, if you will. Uh, what have we seen happening down down in Mexico? And you know, uh, you know, is there is there any hope for for, for bringing some sort of change to, to whatever's happening there?
2: Well, uh, have you ever visited any of the border cities? Have you ever been to Tijuana or Loredo or any of those no cities doubt. right along the border?
3: I have yeah, actually I mean, only once seen Juarez from from the other side. Uh, yeah, I've actually never, I mean, never been. They're horrible places.
2: You know, I mean, you know, I've had the opportunity to go deep into Mexico. I'm not a fan of Mexico City. I do like Guadalajara. But Mexico is a beautiful country. The zone that runs along the northern border, you know, let's just take an example, Monterey, the city of Monterey. It's about seven hours from uh, Brownsville, Texas. For seven, I mean, seven, yeah, it's about seven hours drive. And for seven hours, I think this happened about five years ago, the drug cartels shut down every major freeway and street in and out of that city. Tell me this. Would you invest in a business manufacturing in northern Mexico? Would you do that in a war zone? You have your choice of the United States, the whole world. Would you choose that city in Mexico to invest in? Without the rule of law, I don't think anybody would. Agreed. Just like if you're raising kids, would you raise them in a place where the drug cartels have turned it into a war zone so there's no jobs? I mean, those cities look like that because there's no jobs. They're, they get some money from the drug traffickers and some money from tourists, but you know nobody's going to invest in them. So you get a brain drain and a, and, a, and a manpower drain out of Mexico. You get nobody wanting to invest money there. Ramp it uh illegal immigration into this country which I don't blame these people for immigrating, I'm not in their face. I wouldn't live there I would get the hell out, I would come here and work illegally in a heartbeat <laughs> sorry <laughs> for
1: using the word hell but I mean that's, that's okay. what it is <laughs> No, and that's it. I, uh, what you're getting at, Titus, is how the system in this country has not only cut our own economic benefits for a lot of people, especially the incarcerated people, outside of a few people who are profiting off the system, but it has created war zones just south of our border and places where people cannot raise children uh, or have businesses or do any of those things in it with any well, I have principle. a
2: job. I mean, normalcy. A, yeah, right. there's no... You know, I mean, people wonder why NAFTA, because NAFTA has not worked. I, as I said, I, you know, one of the things I did, I worked as general counsel for something called the Chamber of the Americas, which was to advance trade between the nations of the Americas. And the statistic has come out that NAFTA it has been a, not a great success in the United States, but it's an abysmal failure for Mexico. And unlike trade with China or these other places, it's not like the Mexicans are somehow dysfunctional people and don't know how to work. They have a war zone going on. They have a war going on. In the United States, I can't remember the amount. You may say why, but the Mexican government gets money from the United States in the form of weapons and helicopters and all of this sort of technology, you know, all being fueled by uh, the, the manufacturers of those companies or those companies in the United States to donate this money to Mexico. Well, there's no donation. They're getting paid by the U.S. to sell their stuff to Mexico. We pay to honor the Mexican army. So they're getting money from that side, and then they're selling drugs on the other. I mean, they're both sides of the, the coin here. And, I you know, and then. you know this is true, because recently we had Fast and Furious, and although I'm a fan of, of President Obama, I like him, you know, he shut down that investigation, because that investigation was going to show that the drug cartels and the DEA are linked. These people are linked up. You know, that's where the weapons were from. And they didn't want those links coming out because it would blow the hole off of this thing. So he put an executive order to shut down that investigation.
1: I love that background on the drug war. And I love how you all at Leap are in many ways trying to combat the problems that the drug war has caused. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to take it back to Colorado and what's happening here Um, with the legalization of cannabis and in other ways and how that is helping to hopefully put an end to some of these harms that are being caused. Quick break, we'll be back in just a moment.
0: Cannabis and Commerce, presented by GreenBiz.com. We'll be right back, stay tuned.
4: Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, a fitness writer, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Like many of the million people who are living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every single day. And sometimes my nerves are so raw that if you brushed up against me in an elevator, I'd scream. I can't sleep at night from the pain, And sometimes the spasms in my legs are so intense, they will wake me up throughout the night. I've tried the strongest prescription medications available, and I'm going to tell you, they do not work. In fact, they leave me in a stupor, and most of the time, It's impossible to even live your life. Now, I've tried medical marijuana, and I'm going to tell you something. It works. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at MPP.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP.
0: The Conversation Continues. Welcome back to Cannabis and Commerce, presented by GreenBiz.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome
3: back to uh, Cannabis and Commerce. Uh, I'm your host, Robbie Paul, with, uh, with Josh Miller. We've been speaking with uh, Titus Peterson, a member of the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and we've had a very fascinating conversation about all of the ill effects uh, that the uh, war on drugs have had. Our company, the uh, Green Consulting Group, uh, which you can find on greenbiz.com, you know, principally got into this industry so that we, too, could positively impact cannabis regulation in order to Downplay many of these ills which we have been seeing, and uh, recently in uh, Colorado with the um, legalization of, of cannabis for for adult use, we've been seeing major changes in in policy nationwide and and even across borders. Uh, and uh, Titus, you know, really interested to 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 hear your perspective on what sort of impact you've been seeing Amendment 64 and, and whatnot having on the movement not only within Colorado but within uh, surrounding states, and then the impact we're seeing nationwide. So, hey, we talked about a lot of the negative sides, like,
2: and I could go on and on and on about the reach of that, but let's talk about the good news, which is really we have a marijuana industry beginning here in Colorado, which is a tiny arrow pointing us in the right direction for where we can go and evolve as the human race, as a nation. Um, and, and the real success is out of that. And, and one of the things about Amendment 64 is all of the tax money raised out of that is dedicated to improving our streets and our schools in Colorado. So as opposed to that money going to the drug cartels to buy weapons and protect territories and those sorts of things, we're actually going to have the best schools in the nation here. And the tax right. revenue in Colorado. Do you, know, do you know, I can't remember the exact number. Do either of you guys, have you read that statistic lately about how much more revenue has actually been produced than not produced?
1: Have either no, of you heard that? I don't have those statistics. If Robbie's by the computer, we might get him on, on looking to find them for the end of the show. I hear him type already. Um, but I I do know that the revenue figures have gone up each month since legalization, January, Yeah, February, and it's more March, than okay. they anticipated. I
2: think it's $100 million more, $100 million that we've kept out of the hands yeah of the drug dealers and put it in the hands of government um, in the best way to to educate people. So we can educate them about marijuana. We can educate them about drugs. We can educate them about school. We can do all sorts of great things. And and personally, I have no problem with marijuana. I mean, um, you just repeated to me over the break, uh, Josh, what the US government is the one that has the patent on, on marijuana, which Fascinates me. Right. What what were the what were the two items that were patented? What is it? What does marijuana supposedly cure, according to our own
3: government? So uh, real quick, so it is a uh, neuroprotective patent on cannabis. Uh, It's a patent number 6630507B1. And if I can phrase it in so many terms, uh, the patent concerns pharmaceutical compounds and compositions that are useless tissue protectants, such as neuroprotectants and cardioprotectants. So essentially, what what it's dealing with is, you know, any any sort of um, diseases which, such as age-related diseases, uh, inflammatory or autoimmune diseases, the U.S. government believes that cannabinoids have uh, been found to have these antioxidant properties. Uh, and more importantly, we're also seeing that in terms of the cannabinoids, they're they able to limit neurological damage that's being found with, uh, with victims that suffer from any sort of stroke or trauma or even have neuro, uh, degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, and, and even HIV dementia. So this is coming straight from the uh, U.S. Patent Office, and the patent, it's it's held by the United States of America as represented by the Department of Health and Human Services.
1: And so, yeah, just for, for everyone's sake, the hypocrisy behind the United States government prohibition on marijuana and yet the fact that they hold a patent. On some of the antioxidant and neuroprotective benefits of marijuana, and just other craziness. Titus, do you have? Don't you have friends who have personal experiences with? Relatives yeah, I do. Well, one of like my that? friends is me. I,
2: you know, I have I fractured <laughs> my shoulder in 17 places. Twenty-four years ago, while I was in the DA's office in a biking accident, and I have a complete shoulder replacement. And five years ago or seven years ago, when they allowed medical marijuana to come in, I waited, but after three years, you know, I have a chronic pain in the shoulder. If you ever get a chance to see me, I have a huge scar in my arm. And, you know, it felt like, you know, you have a severely pulled hamstring all the time. That's how my shoulder felt. And so when I take medical marijuana, it actually relieves that pain. I think it makes me a more creative lawyer. Um, that's just a side effect. Um, you know, I often tell people, and who knew I needed to be on an antidepressant? But, you know, leave all of that aside. I, I also have another client, and I can't disclose his name, but, you know, he has his, gra- his uh, grandfather on who has Alzheimer's on marijuana and I have seen this man, he gives him edibles, seen this man on marijuana and off of marijuana and it's legal to give people that, I'm not sure it's legal if they have dementia like he has, but the bottom line is, is that uh, this old man becomes complacent and happy and nice and otherwise he is angry and bitter and feels as if his whole life has gone uh, down the tubes. So the ability for it to control pain and do the things that the government has that patent for, I completely believe in. I, I, I have personal anecdotal knowledge. Of course, the yeah. government has... Stopped right. anybody from doing any real testing, right? I mean,
1: That's it. And yet, under the Controlled Substances Act, the federal government declares marijuana Schedule One because it has no medical benefit. And yet, the federal government has patents stating its medical benefits. Um, Titus, unfortunately, this is going to have to be the, it for us today. Uh, we're going to have you back on very soon, my friend. You uh, you have been a ball. Just to kind of wrap us up, though, you know, we've been talking about a lot of the negatives of of the drug war. Uh, we've been talking about some positives of current, uh, you know, reform efforts and legalization efforts across these states in the West and then across the country. What, what message would you like to leave us with, and what would you like us to take away for the future?
2: I would just like to say you guys are on the side of the angels. I hope you make millions <laughs> and billions of dollars, because you are going to actually help us move forward um, as a people, As a nation, as a world, I mean, this all needs to be thought through. I'm also on the board of Normal here in Colorado. We are laying the ground rules, creating the regulations so that the the tax revenue goes to us and that money doesn't go to the drug cartels. We're trying to make it safe. We're trying to make it safe so it doesn't get in the hands of kids. Um, You know, we're trying to get at the truth, and, of course, we're fighting a bunch of people who have barely been programmed and brainwashed um, by a whole industry called the drug war. And those people are paid for by the government. And they've perpetuated a bunch of lies. They have no proof your brain becomes an egg on this, but they put that on okay. national yeah. television. Yeah. You know, they have no proof. They get to say whatever they want. And, and we're fighting and, and, you know, the implications of what you do is going to reach so deeply into... Us as as you know just you know, let's just start with the nation just the nation, and you know what we have done just as a quick aside there's something called the Singleton uh, Convention which requires every nation in the world to prohibit these drugs and any nation that doesn't do that gets their foreign aid cut gets invaded. Mm-hmm as in Panama. So, you know, we are beginning now, some nations are saying, well, you're not obeying your own convention, so we're not going to follow it either. So exactly. we're beginning to open up the world to a whole new way of thinking that this is a health issue. This is not a criminal issue. These people, you know, the, the, the little book we all read about the letter, the Scarlet Letter, remember we all read that? Right. You know, we've stigmatized a bunch of people who... You know, whether they're on heroin, I mean, I don't see any difference between heroin, people shooting up every day with that, and somebody shooting up for diabetes. I mean, it's a health problem. You know, they're addicted to this stuff, let's deal with their addiction. Let's not lock them up and create a bunch of nonsense jobs to do
1: that. So anyway, that's the message. You guys are on the side of the angels. You're doing the right thing. We love it. Thank you, Titus. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope to talk with you soon, my friend. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'd like to give one final thanks to Titus Peterson, um, our, our first and as of right now, most special guest on Cannabis and Commerce. Uh, for more information about our Green Consulting Group, you can visit our website at greenbiz.com, G-R-E-E-N-E biz.com. Read our blog. Check out our website, contact us with any ideas, and everyone out there, keep fighting for more freedom. See you soon.
0: The opinions and thoughts expressed by the Green Consulting Group and its guests on this radio show do not constitute legal or other professional advice on any matter. We always recommend that listeners seek the advice of independent counsel.